This is the podcast where I'll be interviewing amazing individuals as I find out what a peace of mind means to them and some of the valuable lessons they've learned throughout their journey. Each episode's been recorded at a different stage throughout lockdown, pandemic, just overall COVID living. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit me up, subscribe, send it to a colleague, send it to a friend, just send it on and follow me on socials at Peace of No Mind Show on Instagram and Peace of No Mind on Twitter. Anywho, it's been a minute. Man like. So, in fact, just introduce yourself because I hate introducing people. So it's all about you. Introduce yourself and just give us a top line of what you do. So... My name's Ed Cohen, and I am the founder of Empathy Week. Jeez. I, I said top line, and I was like, oh, is he going to say anything more? But no, 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 you know what? We're good. I've got we're good, good at doing that now, because I usually say, ah, I used to be a teacher, I'm a videographer, yeah. photographer, all this stuff. But yeah. So what? What have you actually been on? Like, So not necessarily with Empathy Week. You said you've just been busy working on a few projects. You're telling me you're going like Saudi. Like, what's happening there, man? Yeah, so I used to be a teacher, and... Um, since leaving teaching two and a half years ago, three years ago, you've got to keep some money coming in, right? And um, I, I also enjoy teaching. I didn't leave teaching because I didn't like kids. Are you sure? Quite, though, <laughs> quite, <laughs> quite the opposite. Yeah, I I think I just get on with I get on with young people really well. I think all the problems we got in the world can actually be combated through engaging young people in those problems. Which is which is kind of what's led me on my my path now, which is trying to engage young people in social action, and and yeah, so I'm going to Saudi uh, on in a couple of days. That's my fifth time there, oh, actually. Okay, so you um, didn't mention that. I was like, so oh, I've been there bro, before, so it's not it's not actually that, yeah, <laughs> it's not that exciting for me as much anymore. Um, and obviously, there's going to be a lot of Wuhan <laughs> bumping. <laughs> we'll look back on this episode in either a year's time or two years' time, and the world will either be like, uh, why are we panicked? Or we'll all be dead. So I don't this, know. this is the thing. By the time this episode comes out, I don't know how far in this journey of Corona scare will be. Like, honestly, like, because it, it could be that it turns into this massive pandemic by May. Um, it could be, well, I don't know. I this don't know. might be the most listened to podcast ever. <laughs> Because everyone's in self-isolation. They've got, yes! So they're just like, right, well, we'll listen to the podcast. Listen, that is not... And I'm not hoping that everyone gets corona so they can listen to this. But I will say, I will say, um, either way, this will be one of those ones. So you're going to be in Saudi for how long? Just a week or two? Or what's yeah, happening? Ten, 10 days. I haven't even explained what I'm doing there. So yeah. I run, run leadership courses for kids. So I work as a freelance facilitator. So companies will get me in and I'll, I'll run courses for them and... 
these courses uh, run around like leadership, resilience, creative problem solving, and teamwork courses like skills that we can probably agree all young people should have. And it's kind of like a mix of content, but also games and learning through activities. And, and I love it because I just get to do what I love doing, standing up, facilitating, getting young people involved in things. Mm. And that's something you've always been quite passionate about. Like you said, just working with young people and kind of inspiring them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think giving them opportunities to um, to learn and mm. fail is really important. And that's also interlinked into what I'm doing now as well. Yeah. And, and, all the stuff I'm doing, yeah. All right, cool. Well, we'll tap into that in a moment. But because you're on peace of no mind, bro, because you're on peace of no mind, what does a peace of mind mean to you and how is it best achieved? I think I've been so busy recently, I've neglected this sort of side of my life. I think you you realise quite early on, I think once you get into the working world, that money is is kind of just a tool, Right. And actually, for me, when I'm, you know, at my best, when I'm relaxed, when I'm chilled out, it's just with, it's with people and sharing experiences. No matter how privileged you are, and I'll admit I'm probably one of the most privileged people in terms of like human, right? White, middle class, straight, tall, like born in the UK. I've won the lottery, right? In terms of human, human life. But no matter who it is and who you're, you're we all have our own perspective. And I think life is hard for everyone and everyone has hard, a hard part of their life at different times. So, so you learn to like treasure just spending time with mates and chilling out and sport as well. Basketball for me is just my, like my meditation. That is the only, it's really the only time where I don't think about other stuff. It's taught me a lot. It's taught me a lot of skills. Mm-hmm. And I think sport is unbelievable for breaking down barriers we would have met like and it weren't through anything sport related um and you actually mentioned it the other day at your launch event but we we originally met um through the youth charity which mm. you applied for um so it was like i think at the time i was the project coordinator and there was like every month or so you'd have a new cohort of young inspirational individuals who wanted to um gain up to 500 pounds to create a social action project and I remember going through the applications, bro, and like um, this this particular cohort was actually quite a good cohort. Like, not saying others yeah. weren't, but yeah. this one was particularly high. The standard was higher, man. And you you came through, and I had to give everyone a call afterwards. And I came off the phone with you, and I was like, oh, bro, this guy's like ambitious, driven. Like, there's there's something here, isn't it? Do you remember where it was that you originally wanted the funding for? Because it was yeah. So so I and I, I went and did it, and yeah. I think I remember saying this to you as well. It wasn't <clears> even necessarily the money. It was the, the the nod of the head, the go ahead and go, right, Ed, go and work with it. Yeah. And actually getting that confidence to be like, oh, no, it is someone said to me, go and do it. And um, my idea was to essentially change the attitudes of people to people who are homeless, mm. people who are living on the street. And I spent all of the money. I spent the 500. In fact, I bought a camera. It's 550. And I, I remember asking, like, what? I can just do anything with this money. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what am I allowed to buy equipment? <laughs> I was like, um... Well, yeah, as long as you, yeah, you're like, record, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And I was like, right, boom, got all the money out. And then bought a camera, 550 quid. Never used one in my life properly. Learned quick. I mean, you look at the videos that I Bro, made. you're doing some, you're doing... The first ones, though, honestly, are just like, you look at them and just be like, iMovie, crap aerial text over the top. And you're just like, that oh, just makes me want to die inside. But that's how I started. And, it, and for me, it was always about the story. Yeah. And I did some, I didn't, when, look back now, I think, 
whoa, like, what was I doing? The video, yeah, the video you'd even sent me, I think it was even before you'd applied, was um, you being on, uh, you you were out in the streets and you spent the night being homeless. And it was like... I don't actually talk about this. Do you not know? (laughs) Why was... Bro, I'm bringing it all back. This is real, real back. What is it? What is it? What is it about that, like, moment? Is that something that you don't like kind of reflecting on anymore? Is that... No, I don't. I've a, I actually think I took the video off YouTube. Really? Because I didn't want to appear this saviour, right? I was teaching in North London, um, came straight out of uni. I was balling at uni. <laughs> <laughs> and not, not financially balling, no, right? No, definitely not. Co op, reduced aisle. Yeah. Always. Yes. But, but playing basketball, I was going out. I was, you know, what a 21 year old lad would be doing and partying and making sure my studies were good, but I would still miss lectures to go and play basketball. And then I just got thrown into teach. I did teach first, which basically you give six weeks training and then you're thrown into a school and like, that's it. You're the, you're their teacher. You're not being shadowed. You are their teacher. And you learn quickly that not everyone's upbringing is the same as yours. There are so many different issues and that you can't blanket across kids. You can't just say, right, we're in this area. So all kids are going to be like, every kid is completely individual. And you quickly realize, you quickly get to know, know stuff about them. And I came up with a saying and I state, I stand by it. It was just like every behavior has a reason, but not an excuse. So every, every kind of behavior, whether it's you hit someone or maybe you hug someone, it, may, it might be a nice behavior as well. But every every behavior has a reason, but it's not always an excuse. So I would say this to kids that I might send outside for a minute because you just punch someone whilst there's 15 Bunsen burners going off in a science class. And they'd be like, what? And I'm just like, because they didn't understand. They wanted me to be angry with them. But I'd be like, right, what's the reason? What's going on? Is everything all right? Everything at home all right? And having this kind of, looking back on it, empathy towards kids and trying to understand why they're behaving in a certain way, exposed so much. So I had kids who were who were homeless, who were living in temporary accommodation, who were moving around. I had one kid who came in on the Monday, having been kicked out of his house on the Friday, still wearing the same clothes. And was this new to you? Like, because obviously you never yeah. didn't even, like you may, may have not previously up until that point, um, maybe come across individuals who had lived that lifestyle. No? Yeah, 100%. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think even... At school, I went to, there'd have been kids like that as well. But when you're a kid, you just, you're so in your own world and you think every kid has the same life as you. And I was lucky enough that my mum's a childminder. So she actually stayed at home and she would look after two or three kids a day. So if I was ill, my mum was there. When I got home from school, my mum was there. My mum was always there if I was ill to look after me. I didn't, I didn't have this concept of like both your parents being out. So I learned a lot teaching and I started doing assemblies around homelessness. I was like, it's an issue that some of our kids face, but also it's it's very like visceral. It's very like apparent, and it's there. And it's about teaching people to have perspective and treat other people the same as you would want to be treated. And then I just I just had this crazy idea. I was in my third year of teaching. I was like, I know all the kids in the school, whether I've taught them or not. It was at Easter holidays. I'd wanted to do this for ages. I actually planned to go for a week across Christmas. And told my mum, and she lost it, and I've never had an argument with her. <laughs> so that <laughs> in the middle of town, she was crying. We went out for breakfast one half term when I was a teacher, and I had it off. Went back to visit her, 
never, I've never had an argument like that with my mum. She was crying. She walked off. She said, you're ridiculous. Because you so, basically told her that for a solid week, yeah, you were going to sleep over, rough, Christmas. over Christmas Day. Mad. <laughs> Not be there. Okay. Um, and then, anyway, back down because I thought I was literally going to make my mum ill. And then I just did it without telling her over Easter. I was like, my mate had a coffee shop in Warren Street at the time. Went to him. I went, here's my phone, wallet, keys. Gave gave him everything. And I went I went on the street for 48 hours. Uh, I just took a GoPro. And I, I recorded basically what what I was feeling. And you look back at it now and it's quite like, oh, God, it's like, so dramatic. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, was like it was two days. felt so lonely. Mm. The first day, the first night, mm. you think, all right. And I slept under Big Ben. It was actually just after... Uh, the, the terrorist attack on the, the first one when the man drove over and actually stabbed the policeman to death and that sort of area. So there was loads of flowers and there was a police presence and I felt safe because of the police presence. What people didn't tell me is that Big Ben goes off every 15 minutes. <laughs> so I couldn't sleep at all. So every 15 minutes, dong. And then you get, oh, but, but it showed, like, I've probably gone into it in too much detail, but I videoed that and showed it in assemblies to every single year group. Mm-hmm. And I sat on the floor with a completely covered, so people couldn't, the kids couldn't tell. It's 250 kids in each year group. They'd come into the hall, they'd see someone sat on the floor. I'd reveal myself, and they would all laugh. Be like, oh, it's the girl, and he's a he's a homeless person. <laughs> laugh, which is actually when it first happened, I was like, that's oh, made me angry. But then it was a perfect response because then I, I just said to them, I said, what would you do if I was homeless? What would you do if I was sat on the street? Would you help me? And then most of them go, yeah. And then there's always there was always one boy who went, no. <laughs> Shout out, thinking <laughs> he's a joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd look at him and I'd say, well, in the Easter holidays, you could have walked past me and not helped me. Mm-hmm. And I played this video. And we had a girl was crying in it. And we did like a fundraiser around it. And it just showed me the impact that I could have on young people. And I was like, right, I want to I wanna have more impact. Yeah. Well, to, to me, like I said, even, I know you said you probably didn't want to reflect on that, but to me, it probably showed that from the earliest point or my earliest memory of you, that you'd always had some, like an altruistic nature about it. And there was always yeah. like a, there was always you maybe with a, a, a larger view of like, how can I be more impactful? And I know that some people might have disagreed with that moment or they might have looked at the video and said, oh, my days, it was what, 48 hours. But yeah. it was like the actual intention behind it. You weren't do, like your intention at the time. And when you contacted the, the charity that I was working mm. for, it was more so like, cool, he's got big dreams and it's how can I help facilitate that? Yeah, and I think that, yeah, because to, to the internet and to the trolls out there, right? Yeah, so what, it, a couple of haters popped up, yeah. <laughs> Don't, ah, it's all right, yeah, yeah, white boy, yeah. to be homeless. <laughs> and I, I was like, yeah, I'm white, I can't change it. I'm privileged, I know that. But I think that's, part, that's maybe where part of my altruistic nature, if we call it that, comes from is the fact that I'm, I'm aware that I'm privileged. And my my upbringing my mum as she always said to us she had never had two pennies to rub together left school at 14 and and quite sadly left school because her mum wouldn't pay for the uniform and then my dad on the other side actually middle class is my uh granddad and gran when they were alive um doctor and a, an airline pilot um and he had he had money but he had a really unstable life so i've had two parents who've come from different backgrounds but not good upbringings And then they've given me all these opportunities, but always made sure I know how lucky I am. Always made sure that I'm thankful for what I've got. And, you know, that that money that bought the the camera, but like I say, it was the 
the vision that I gave across and someone saying, yeah, go and do it. And then went around the country filming people on the street, uh, but also grassroots organisations. So around Manchester, Liverpool, uh, Bath, Bristol, Birmingham, London, Oxford, and doing that. And it gives you so much perspective. And the, the big thing that came out of that and the big kind of thing to pass on to people was you don't have to give money, you don't have to give food, but you do have to acknowledge. And that acknowledgement can be a look. And that, that person that sat down there outside the tube station might not see you looking every time. But when you do catch eyes, just say hello. Just say, hope you're all right. Sorry I haven't got any change. If you don't have any change or if you don't want... You can just say, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to give you money. But, but I've had... Uh, I've, the count is now four, which isn't massive, right? Over the past three years. Four what? Four people. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Four. Like, he said four. <laughs> yeah, big I've four. I've had four <laughs> moments, four people. Sick say to me, and two people actually got up and tapped me on the shoulder as I walked past, just saying, thank you for acknowledging me. Which sounds really weird. Like, And, and I think people have this, this complex of like guilt and I can't tell someone to have a good day who's clearly in a worse position than me. And so people don't say anything at all. And that's the danger. And then that's when people become isolated. And that's when people start to have mental... There's no way you can be on the street for a you know, a prolonged period of time without having mental health problems um, because you were just isolated. Imagine you, you sit in central London, you have tens of thousands of people walk past you every day. Imagine if one just said hello. That's super powerful. And so that's kind of what I spent my time doing and, and using video as a format to get that message out into the, into the world. And that was your first time actually using, so other than yeah, the homeless video, but that was your first time using video to kind of convey that yeah. message, right? Yeah. And explain to us a little bit about how you've continued to use video. So you've you've kind of finished that as a project, you're still doing some freelance stuff. Um, and then what what is the, the kind of brainchild that birthed Empathy Week? I was speaking to someone about this the other day. People were like, how have you done Empathy Week? And we'll come on to what that yeah. is. But it's honestly putting myself going all in and being in the position to take opportunities. So when I was in Liverpool doing the project, I met this amazing man called John Finnegan, who runs an organisation called uh, Liverpool Homeless Football Club. Um, and he's amazing. And he just said to me, Ed, have you heard of uh, the Homeless World Cup? I was like, no, what is that? Just like 50 countries, men's and women's team, all experienced homelessness or social exclusion in the past year. Go to one city every calendar year and play football. And I went, right, when's the next one? <laughs> <laughs> yes. He went, Mexico, November. And this was in May. So I had a few months between November. I was like, right, how am I going to afford it? How am I going to do it? And I realized, I was just like, look, I've saved up money. So I was like, screw it, let's go. So I actually traveled around, ended up in the Homeless World Cup, and then ended up uh, speaking to the Indian team, which is organized by Slum Soccer. And they were like, we need someone to help us develop a, a program, leadership program. And I was like, that's what I do. I'm a teacher. I run leadership courses. Ended up in India. Oh, so wait, break this down. So literally, <laughs> yeah, because it sounds like too many like coincidences or like just how, how life worked or whether you were actively pushing it. So you met this guy in Liverpool who was like, you ain't heard of the Homeless World Cup. You're like, no, I haven't heard of the Homeless World Cup. It's like the next one is in Mexico, right? So that sorry, the Homeless World Cup has been running for like 18 years, but it's all within a week. Oh, okay. So they run like, okay. and it's like four and four. It's like its okay. own game within itself, really fast paced. But you see these people 
that have been potentially living in slums in India or living on the streets in Nepal or living on the streets of Mexico or London. And they all come together and they have like an opening ceremony, the flags, everything. And then all of a sudden they're on a pitch and you've got people watching and shouting and supporting their country. Yeah. And because they're these people are wearing a kit, you forget they're homeless and that you're just watching football. And that is the power of it. That's the power of it. You see them as people, you see them as people with skills. And I cried, I think, three times during that week. You have to offer these experiences to your to, to people to to change them. Yeah. Like you can give anyone money. So yeah, that's, I'm I'm a firm believer as well. I feel like in terms of your actual your outlook on life, you only know as much as you've seen. So how how on earth could you know the world's a lot bigger than what it is that you've experienced? So by actually taking someone to a whole different country, and you, you touch on it in some of your videos, but getting someone to a whole different country, that experience is priceless. You know, I think when you talk about peace of mind, it's about belonging, right? Well, that's what we search for. We search for a place where we we feel we fit in, where we have purpose. And that's really what we're all chasing, if you take away everything else. And a lot of people don't have purpose and a lot of people don't have that belonging in, in different, you know, if there's a scale, obviously some people have it more than others. But you watch that unfold within a week and that is what is super, super powerful. And it just it just changes people. And then, you know, if we're coming on to like Empathy Week now, I'm, I met the the Indian uh, slum soccer CEO founder or the founder's son who's now the CEO. And he just said, we're looking to develop leadership courses. And it was pretty much just like, do you want to come out to India? And they're so chill, they're so relaxed. So when I was organizing it, they were just like, yeah, just come out around this date. That was it. And I was like, do you know what? If I was sensible, I'd be like, no, what's you know, what's all the <laughs> plans? This is a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, was just like, like I need some, I need some concrete here. Yeah, yeah. I met this guy once. Yeah, <laughs> he's invited me to India. Like, <laughs> <laughs> bro, I'm not going to lie, that would raise alarm bells for some people. It'd be like, all right, cool. But there's almost, there's almost that like humanity, like the basing off the fact that trust, trust in yeah. humanity and that this guy yeah. has, has, has connected with what you were saying and he might be able to take this message a bit further. All I said to them was like, I just need um, the flight paid for. And they were like, yeah went out there and worked on that for two months. And then this is when I was like, right, all stuff started to come together in my brain. I was like, I'm passionate about education. I've got the insight into what education's like. I've been a teacher. I've now built up my videography to be good. Started to get paid for that a little bit. Photography, still using the same camera though. Oh, sick, still, look at life. Em yes. Empathy Week was filmed. People don't know this. <laughs> yes, it's still filmed. Empathy Week was filmed on a 550 pound camera. And now I'm using, you know, big boy camera. But... Yeah, <laughs> it's like we've upgraded, but it's still there. <laughs> but, but I wouldn't even say my videography is the best, um, but it's a skill that you constantly learn. But what makes the videos for Empathy Week great is my connections with the, the subjects, right, the people I'm interviewing. I spent two and a half months with them. Pankaj's story, which is on day three of Empathy Week, like I was sat on the back of his bike everywhere I went, having talk, you know, having chats and talking about life. And then, you know, he lives still in a house which is quite, like half made out of mud, which is what, you know, but he's, he did, when I said people would look at you and say, you live in poverty, he would just like laugh and be like, do you want to go get KFC? <laughs> you know, like it's just, your perspective of things, we're so, uh, like our cultural bias is so ingrained in us and it's not really our fault, but we have this image of West is best that we see people living differently and we think, oh, they've got to get water out of a well and wash with it 
And I've ha- I've been in a few situations where I've had to do that in Uganda, where I lived for three months, and in India and things like that. Wash it, and you humans are the most adaptable species. That's yeah. why we've survived. That's why we've thrived. I think you even said something quite powerful at the um, launch event for Empathy Week. You were talking about it not wanting to be poverty porn. It's difficult because you can't just erase parts of people's life. So you do have to include, right, Ravina has cut her hair to look like a boy so she's not sexually harassed in her slum as much. And that Pankaj's dad did beat his mum and then take his own life. Like You have to include that because that's such a vital part of their story. But each story is positive. It ends positively. Um, I'm where I haven't even like explained what Empathy Week is. That was kind of where I was going to loop it back into because you're telling me you're in India now. You've you spent a few months, or not even a few months, but you you were helping out with their leadership program. But how did these stories emerge? What where was Empathy Week, and where where was your vision for that? Yeah, so the vision came from again teaching and realizing that so schools have a statutory right to deliver what's called SMSC education, which stands for social, moral, spiritual, and cultural learning. The thing is, it's actually just kind of sprinkled across the top. The way I like, to people not in education, I liken it to mental health in businesses. Every business will say they do it. Some will offer free yoga on a Friday. Some will actually have mental health policies that are effective, that understand, you know, have mental health sick days and things like that. So everyone will say they do it, but often it's sprinkled, it's added on. I don't think teaching young people about empathy, giving them skills, resilience, is an add-on. I think it's core. And so Empathy Week came out about, about, right, how do we engage young people? Video, because that's what they engage with now. TikTok and everything on the rise. They take all their information by video. Right, we're going to make amazing cinematic videos about people, real people, real lives. We're going to match them with resources, and discussion templates so that teachers don't have to plan anything. Make it easy for schools to deliver. Differentiate it, make it adaptable. They can take it and then use it how they want. Put it into a five-day package, build up some you know, noise around it, make schools aware of it and get them to use it. But then also the fact that five days isn't enough and teaching empathy isn't enough. So I say, can you, can you teach yourself to love someone? Like you can put, can you, can you teach love? You can show it, you can explain it, but you can't teach it. And it's the same with empathy. Empathy is often, I think, misunderstood as something you have or you don't have. Whereas actually it's a skill and and skills need to be practiced. So after those five days and what hopefully some students are doing now is they're either carrying out a social action project or a fundraiser where they're putting their, what we say, compassion into action. So Empathy Week is trying to create what we call the empathy generation a generation of young, conscious, empathic leaders, because empathy and leadership go hand in hand as well. We want our young people to be resilient. Resilient. We want them to be leaders. We want them to understand other other people's perspectives, which is what empathy is about. And that's what I was going to say. Empathy can only really be built on perspective, right? So you've delivered a three or four different stories and perspectives. So these were stories from like Pankaj, um, Satna, Satna, and Ravina. Yeah, yeah, and a few of the other team. And then there's also one of me in there as well. Yeah, and they all touch on how, so some of the serious issues that these guys have, might have dealt with, but also their circumstances and also how they find joy and happiness. Yeah, and and bring and importantly for kids in the UK, but also, so we've we've had schools sign up from over 30 countries across six continents in the world, which 
we want we want it to have impact. I think this year is about proof of concept, and we've proved that. Next year is very much about right. What impact can we have? And this year it's been based around slum soccer, and the theme is sport and change. But the topics that come out of it, right? Gender equality, domestic violence, mental health, suicide, but also resilience and leadership and the power of community and belonging. And day one, the slum soccer founder VJ Barca he talks about where the idea came from and this idea that simple empathic actions can create massive social change. I mean, look at Greta Thunberg, right? She sat outside with a sign, just happened to go viral. Imagine that one person who didn't take that photo and didn't tweet it. So so simple actions, they don't always have and most likely won't have massive social change. But what we're trying to say to young people is your actions matter, they can inspire others and they, they do good and they're valuable. And and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get young kids to actually, and young teenagers and ad, you know young adolescents, to go in and be like, I can make a difference, but I need to try. And Empathy Week is really a platform for young people to do that. The same permission that you gave me unknowingly, right? When you said, Ed, I'm going to give you that 500 quid for that camera. But to me, that was the permission and the platform to kind of go against all my friends and my mum and whatever, who's, and my dad who's going like, oh, what are you going to do? Or what are you doing with your life? And I slept on my mate's sofas and stuff for two years. And and also back home a little bit, but I didn't want to be too at home for too long. So allow, you know, the, the kindness of my friends to, to let me crash at theirs. And I crashed at people's a lot. And I needed to be in London. And the event that you came to the launch was kind of a bit of a, a thank you to a lot of people in that room that, have allowed me to sleep on their floor or their beds or their sofas so that I could chase like Wait, passion. Yeah. Really. And and it was real, man. Cause even when you gave the shout out at the event, I was like, oh man. <laughs> Bro, I was like, I had like popcorn in my mouth. I was just like, ah, oh. he's like, yo, Rave, for giving me the I was like, no. But no, bro, honestly, man, like I'm 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 more than happy, like almost seeing it now mm. and how how it's unraveled and how you've kind of driven yourself further it's it's amazing it's that spark and that knock-on effect that you never realize you can do when you give someone an opportunity or permission to move forward um so if we're looking at the actual empathy week when is the week and has it happened already what, what is it yeah so it's happened uh it was between the 24th and 28th of february okay but any school can sign up anytime and run it run it themselves. Okay. So this year, like schools are finding out about it now, or they found out about it during the week. But they can they can go onto the website, download it, and use it anytime. And now also, all the if you're not a school and you don't want the resources, that's fine. You can go on YouTube. If you actually just search Empathy Week, it should come up, um, and watch the videos and, and take part in it. And have you had any schools that? Did take part recently then because you said that around sixty schools was it that signed up? Was it? Or no, we've well, we've had like. So if you take the the teachers mm-hmm. that have signed up and you look at their schools and look at the number of kids in their schools, we've had like over 200,000 students okay. be like registered for it. It's like hundreds of schools across the world. Whether they use it or not, I don't know because it's hard to tell. But like I say, we've we had some schools tweeting us saying, yeah, we're doing it, we're getting involved. that's what the next question, yeah, it was more so like, has anyone hit you yeah, back with feedback? Yeah, like, amazing. You've touched this kid or this was a, this was the, the knocking effect again that this happened in my classroom because of this? Yeah, so one story in particular, which actually came from piloting it before Christmas at the school that I used to teach at, one of the teachers came to me and said, we've had this young, we, we've watched the videos all week, they're amazing, the kids are really engaging, they love it. 
And we've had one girl in our class and she's, I think, 13 or 12, 13. And um, she stood up and she explained that this is what it looks like where she came from. So she's from Pakistan and came to the country like a couple of years ago. Generally quite quiet, but she felt empowered to sort of stand up and say, look, this is where I come from and, and felt represented and felt like she could share something she hadn't before with her class. And I was like, whoa, that is that is really powerful. When you when you think about it, that you're giving permission to a young girl who's shy from Pakistan, comes to the country, and then all of a sudden she's saying she's she can talk in front of her class and say, Look, this is this I is what it's like voice. where I came. Yeah. And and there'll be so many of those stories that I'll never hear. And I'm I'm wary of that as well. And and so when people will ask, oh, you know, what's the impact of Empathy Week? Well, the, the truth, the honest answer is I don't know at the moment. And a lot of the impacts won't necessarily be measurable, but it doesn't mean it's not important. And I think that's the big, you know, it's nice that we're still in touch and we're still in contact and that you know that that camera that you gave me actually filmed Empathy Week. And I think that's the message that, that runs through everything I've done, even with the homelessness stuff, which I'm still involved in. I run a community in, in London that brings organizations together. That came out of that as well. And I think this this idea that simple empathic actions can can create massive change and, and every action you have has a ripple effect. I think people need to understand their behaviors can really, really impact others, other people. And, and they may never hear about it. Bro, it's you're 100%, you're bang on the money in that if it's not tangible, like we're, we're, we're in this weird age where it's almost like we only want tangible, measurable results. And I understand that when you're talking about scaling, but sometimes there are some real things which you can't measure. And like you said, those, you me necessarily delivering the information back to you, like this had this impact, could be quite a rarity. Someone listening to an episode of Peace of No Mind and being like, I made this change in my life, but I never hit up the, the host or the producer and told him, yo, bro, it's because of that episode. People are always bro, watching listen, and listening. People are, people are always they are, they just they are. They just, yeah, they're, they're, they're just observing from a distance. And that's fine. You know, everyone needs to be vocal, but it does help sometimes when people are like, yo, this really made an impact in my life. Someone actually messaged me on or put put a comment on one of my posts on LinkedIn. I'm quite active on LinkedIn now, and people should get on it because you're contacting people who aren't trolls and connecting with people who are in real positions in companies that you could never reach out to before. And now they're like a few clicks away. So if you're not on LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn. Yeah, (laughs) honestly, it's a super powerful tool, and that's how I've managed to connect with people. But someone uh, put a comment the other day and just said it's important for you to know that people are watching. I know that was literally yesterday. People are watching and are influenced by what you're doing. And I was like, whoa, okay, cool, keep mm. going. And it's moments like that, especially as a, a social entrepreneur that you're, and I found it weird calling myself, used to yes. find it weird calling social myself a social entrepreneur, entrepreneur but I've been told to, to call myself that. And I suppose I am because I'm just taking a risk and, and it's tough. And most days are boring, like not boring for me, but they look boring. I'm just on my laptop. I'm sending loads of emails, I'm sending loads of messages. I'm not stopping work at five. I'm just getting going. I'll stop at like nine or 10 or 11 or 12. You know, you just do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And I think people nowadays and young people as well see Instagram and see Twitter and TikTok. And they think that you can just put, pray that you put one piece of content out and, and it goes viral. Changed it, like, and it doesn't yeah. work like that. Mm. It doesn't work like that because people want, if you put a good piece of content out and it does go, people want to see what you've done before. Yeah. They want to see integrity. They want to see, and I can now stand 
here or sit on a podcast and say, I am living it. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually, it annoys me sometimes. Sometimes I just think, oh, just get a nine to five job. Sometimes you don't see the results as well as fast as maybe you'd want to, Mm -hmm. like the accumulation of all your hard work over years. Like that is when someone's like, someone blew up overnight. It's like, no bro, you haven't seen the accumulation of all of their conscious decisions that they made over six years has allowed them to blow up that one night. And it looks like they've had that overnight success, but you weren't with them when they applied for that funding yeah. six years ago. You weren't with them yeah. when they were recording their first thing on their on their phone. Like you just weren't with them in those situations. So again, I really do think you need to keep pushing forward. You've been working behind the scenes for a while. Yeah, and I, I won't, I, I think I'm really resilient. Like, it's not that I am giving up, but mm. you always have those thoughts. A hundred percent. Like you're everyone human, does. Though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're just like, oh, is it is it worth it? Or... You know, people say, oh, how have you afforded it? That's, that's, that is the most asked question I get. How, how did you afford it? Yeah, how did you afford to live? And, yeah. Well, I didn't earn that much money, but I stopped spending it on crap. And there's no reward without sacrifice. And there's no reward without hard work. What are we hoping Empathy Week looks like in the next few years? What are you hoping, like, how could people support you if they're hearing this now and they're like, wow, man, that actually sounds like something I could pass on or spread? Yeah, that's it. Spread it. Like, I want it to grow, but I want it to grow with impact. There's no point me saying, oh, it's downloaded X amount of times and then no schools used it. Then no kids are using it. That's not the point. The impact is really, and I think I might have spoken about this on the launch night as well, is imagine, right, this year, you may have done it, but you don't really understand what it is and you've never heard of Empathy Week. But the next year it comes around and now you've gone from year seven as a kid into year eight. And you think, oh, I might give a social action project to go. Or oh, I'm a bit nervous. You get to year nine, Empathy Week comes around again. And then you think, oh, I'll do a fundraiser. And then year on year on year. As a kid, if you if if you start in year seven and then you do Empathy Week till year 13 before you go to uni, you'll have taken part in seven, seven Empathy Weeks. You'll have seen 35 videos. And you'll, and you'll have had the platform opportunity to try and fail and get it wrong, but try and make a difference in the world and understand different causes because Empathy Week is going to change themes each year. That's what I was thinking. You've got the capacity now, not we now, can, but you will have yeah. the ability to move anywhere internationally. And right? what I love about videos is they don't go anywhere. Yeah. They're there. Mm. So you can revisit them and you see them once. The, and it takes a long time to make some videos. Like the videos that I made to be months, but they're there. They're done. You can revisit them. And the idea is we've got a mission to reach uh, and impact 10 million young people by 2030. Watch the videos, like take time out of your day. I would say, like if you watch the video on a tube and it's busy, it's probably not gonna have the same impact. Like creating space for yourself to watch something that's meaningful, like creating that space for you to reflect on your own life because these videos are created for everyone to watch. And yeah, obviously I'm biased, I think they're great and I made them, but even when I make them, they they give me goosebumps. And that's I know that's why the stories are good because when you listen to something and you've watched and you've edited it, thousands of times or revisited it when it's still that that story's given you Tingles. the feels yeah. you're, you're like right this, this is, is powerful yeah. and people need to hear it so if people we're on Instagram and Twitter and go on YouTube and just watch the videos and share it and if you know young people in schools share it so on Instagram we are at Empathy Week Twitter it's at The Empathy Week um, and my personal one is at Ed Kerwin uh, on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, reach out. I would love to, you know, we've talked about not understanding 
or not hearing back on the impact you've had, but I would love to hear your thoughts on what I'm doing or, or ways that you can get involved or anything like that. It'd be lovely to hear from Ray's audience. Jeez, and your audience, because you're going to send them all the way here, bro. Yes, of um, course. And they can watch your videos on YouTube as well, right? Yeah, so I've got my own uh, YouTube channel um, as well as Empathy Week's got a YouTube channel as well. Nice. All right, three questions before okay. we wrap this up. Yeah. What has been one of your most important failures? today I've had a lot and I actually don't look at failures as failures which I think is a blessing and maybe a curse but yeah I think I think when I first started out actually with the camera and before trying to get to Mexico I was trying to get a a charity to like kind of sponsor me or, or to go with them and I didn't understand why they were just like they were like yeah and then they were like no and then the coaches didn't want it and all this sort of stuff and I just took took that as a massive like hit to the gut because I all I was trying to do was good. I didn't want money from them. I just wanted like my flight covered. And I just I, I remember being like, "What am I doing?" And I've had a lot of those moments, but what am I doing? No one wants me involved anyway. And I remember sitting on that for like a week and just being a bit like, "I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm earning money. Like all these worries." And then from that, I was just like, look, why have you, remembering why you started? And I think that propelled, and I was just like, look, I'm just going to Mexico. Like worrying about money. Well, I've got the money to pay for it. Worry about it after when you don't have it, when you really don't have any money. So yeah, that it's not my biggest failure, but it's one that just comes to mind having spoken about the journey now. It's like this getting knocked back at a time when you think, oh, everything's going great. And that, that hurts. Like that sucks. What are you most proud of? These questions are like big questions. You haven't prepped, you haven't prepped me for this. Do you know what? Again, I'm just going to go with what immediately comes to my mind. It is that class that I was teaching in my third year of teaching, all boys, and they came up the stairs after their mock exam going, you gang, you gang, you gang. They'd all got U's in their mocks. And they were like, scared scared young boys 16 15 year old boys and they they grouped around the fact they all got used and so it wasn't so bad it was funny and at the end of that year none of them got you and i'm not saying that was me but a part of it i feel was me in the sense that i gave them perspective and i gave them confidence to to try because one of the biggest issues is kids kids fail not because they're stupid they fail because they don't they don't want to try because if you try and fail well then you are stupid and this is their mindset whereas if you fail and you didn't well I didn't revise well I didn't care anyway I didn't care <laughs> yeah I don't care anyway why do I need science I don't care because that's that phrase you hear so much as a teacher scared they're scared and they don't know what to do so removing that fear and being like just try so what is the best piece of advice that someone else has given you Best piece of advice that I've had, and this doesn't come from anyone in particular, authenticity. You can't replace it. Being authentic allows you to connect with the people that you need to connect with. And if you try and be someone else, you are going to connect to the wrong people with the wrong values that don't align with yours. So be authentic. Be all in on being being your true self. and And chase your passions. Like, I'm really aware of fatality and I don't know why because I haven't had a near-death experience. 
I have had friends who have lost close friends suddenly. Um, and I haven't had like mass, I don't know. I've, I'm just very aware that, and again, this sounds cheesy and cringy or whatever, but we have one life. So be authentic and you will be matched somehow by way of the universe with people that will help you get there, like me and you. Bro, but you know what? There was one quote that came to mind at the end of what you were saying. It was like, you've got two lives. Your second life begins when you realise you've only got one. And it was like, mm, yeah, that's nice. I, I like that one. Hey, Ed, man. Hey, my Thank man. You,